For the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn, your host for Under the Dome for the week of Monday, March 6, 2023. Today I'm here with my colleague, Luciana Perez Uribe Gnasi. And if you're listening to this as the week starts on Monday morning, um, I know we're all hyped for a state of the state, but probably still talking about Medicaid expansion, which was big news at the end of this past week. Of course, it's been big news and not big news and sort of news and a big fake out news for years. <laughs> we're going to talk more about the background on that in a little bit. But first, what the actual huge news was, was that on Thursday morning, which is known as Legislative Friday because not a lot happened. Sometimes there were votes, no votes. What happened on Thursday, there were a few committee meetings in the morning. But one meeting that wasn't in committee was all the big budget chairs were there. So uh, a press conference was called between uh, Phil Berger and and Tim Moore, and some of those budget chairs came in who also happened to be integral in healthcare policy. And the big news was that the House and the Senate had finally come to an agreement. More or less, there's no bill yet, but basically, probably on what a Medicaid expansion bill that they would both support would look like. So here's some of the audio of what Berger and Moore were telling reporters when this We have come to an agreement on Medicaid expansion. And uh, the uh, agreement uh, is that the Senate will modify the House's Medicaid expansion bill. Um, we're in the process of doing that, so I don't have the draft uh, at, at this point. And at the end of the day, what we know is we're going to have a legislation, we're going to have a policy that is going to expand access to working North Carolinians, that is going to ensure that there is a, a more robust supply of a lot of these services, that is going to result in less cost, but at the same time, vitally important to protect access to health care, particularly in our rural areas. One of the balances that we were always concerned about was ensuring that we don't do anything that creates greater disparities and greater access issues to health care in our rural parts of the state. And you know, we have so many communities and counties that are having declining populations, uh, they're having aging populations, populations where the needs are even more acute, uh, and where those areas where they have truly declining populations the ability for the local community to supplant or to provide for that is even more challenging. So this is, I would submit to you, a very balanced way to approach it. It's one that uh, we've consulted with you know, stakeholders from around the state, everyone from you know, uh, hospitals to, uh, to, to, to other health care providers to you name it, uh, folks that, that you know, we believe are experts and, have, of course, have varying uh, points of view. And the result of that has been to come up with something that I believe is a very carefully crafted and appropriate balance for where we are in North Carolina. So here, here's what I would say. that, that This agreement represents uh, negotiations between the House and the Senate. Uh, the governor was not involved directly in those negotiations. The governor uh, has been clearly involved in uh, being an advocate for expansion. Uh, he's also uh, been uh, in, involved in uh, talking to hospitals and uh, others uh, in, in an effort to assist us uh, in, in getting to an agreement. Uh, but uh, the negotiation was uh, a House-Senate uh, negotiation, and the agreement is a House-Senate uh, agreement. Uh, I am confident that uh, the governor will be uh, pleased with this. Uh, my guess is the only uh, thing that he would uh, would uh, quibble about is he would want the Medicaid uh, expansion provision to be effective immediately. 
uh, and we'll have a conversation with him about that as well. Like I was saying, this happened on a Thursday morning when we weren't sure if there was going to be some deal because it's just been talked about for so long. And people who are know a lot about the uh, how this has come about over the years know that the big difference between the House and the Senate is that the Senate and chiefly, of course, Senator Berger wants changes to the certificate of need policy laws if they're going to pass Medicaid expansion. And the House does not want to do that. The House wanted other things earlier in the process for the past few years, like a work requirement, which doesn't look like it would hold up in court, potentially. So they really just both dug in for months, even last summer and into the fall. And I jinxed myself using a headline on a story that a deal might be imminent when it certainly wasn't imminent. Uh, but if, if, if you mean six months, it's imminent. So anyway... Uh, Luciana, you've reported more on how the specifics are of where they're of where they're coming together and what's not in this compromise. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So as you were saying, it was definitely, at least for me, slightly a surprise because with a backdrop of it having failed before and um, everyone thinking it was imminent at some point, I had been hearing rumors that something would happen in March, but I def definitely did not think it was gonna be on Legislative Friday. Um, but anyways, onto what is in that potential upcoming bill that the Senate is uh, working out with the House. Uh, there's gonna be some CON changes, so certificate of need uh, law changes, according to uh, Berger. And he basically said that that's gonna um, affect behavioral health and chemical um, dependency hospitals, as well as a few other things. And those uh, clauses don't really take effect immediately. They're going to take effect years down the line, and they're going to be tied to a thing called the HASP, or the Healthcare Access and Stabilization Program. And that is a mechanism in the House bill that will, um, as they've explained it, increase reimbursement, Medicaid reimbursement rates for hospitals. And so hospitals were really involved in getting that um, into the bill, from what I've heard. Then another thing that has been talked a lot about has been the financials of this. Um, and I think from what's been reported, what I've reported as well, is that Republicans kind of changed their mind because they saw this as a financially positive thing for the state. One thing they've been touting a lot is a $1.8 or so one-time um, uh, incentive. And that incentive is um, coming from a federal uh, increase in the reimbursement um, rate for the state portion that uh, the state funds for Medicaid expansion. So money talks. Yeah, money talks. That That's a simpler way to say it. <laughs> and the one thing that won't be changing in that bill uh, that is not going to be in the, uh, recon the reconciliation bill or the Senate's version of expansion that might come out is the SAVE Act. And the SAVE Act is basically a portion um, to give nurses more autonomy of practice. Um, and Berger has said that he does want that to pass, but it's not going to be tied to Medicaid expansion this year. So yeah, that was a mouthful, but uh, we are writing a lot about that. So you can read more about it and get into the weeds and details of it all. Yes, lots of stories. We've had you know so many uh, the first day and the second day and more this week about what this is actually going to look like. And of course, it's important to note that we have not seen the bill 
Uh, we've sort of seen the bill, if you look at the version of Medicaid expansion in the House bill that passed, that'll add what the Senate wants. And that should be coming out. But again, until you actually see the bill and read the bill, you don't know what's in there. So the other huge thing at play is that it's tied to the state budget. And that has been years-long battle uh, with various policy things. Medicaid expansion has money uh, connected to it, which is why Berger told me when I asked why exactly can you know explain why this has to be part of the budget and that's why but that's not also why it's part of the budget the other reason it's part of the budget is because they want the governor to sign it which means there's going to be a lot of other stuff in there that he might like and he might not like so we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk a little bit about the budget state of the state medical marijuana and of course headliner of the week too we'll be right back you're listening to Under the Dome. I'm News and Observer politics reporter Don Vaughn, here with my colleague Luciana perez Uribe Ignasi. So, Don, you wrote about a story about this um, this week, well, last week now. Uh, can you tell me more about the Democratic Party and the shifts in leadership that are going on there? So big news about probably almost a month ago now or about a month ago the the chairs, the leadership of the state Democratic Party, they had an election and usually they shift around. So a couple of different people here and there. And unless you're you know, a political insider within the party, it's not really very newsworthy. But it got a lot of attention It's still getting a lot of attention because it wasn't what the status quo was. It was all it was changes across the board with all the chairs and at the most prominent person is, of course, the head chair, Anderson Clayton, who was the person county party head, pushed a lot about of rural Democrats needing attention. And also she's 25. So people have looked at like someone made the joke that to her, her first name is 25 year old Anderson Clayton because people talked uh, about that so much. But a lot of it is the change and the energy that she and the others brought, which actually they span multiple generations but wanting something different because the Democrats lost and they're all tired of losing and want something new. And so I talked to various Democrats about what this could mean with that type of like energy was the key word about going forward. Even those that didn't support Anderson's run. Uh, Cooper, the governor, did not support Anderson's run, but immediately came out wanting to work with her attorney general, Josh Stein, who's running for governor, immediately wants to work with her. They met I think within a day, and Anderson's going around across the state talking to all these Democrats about what you want to do. So mm-hmm. it seems like party-wide, they've recognized that what they've been doing isn't working. It may have worked when Governor Cooper was first elected, and his endorsements carried a lot more weight, and like that that worked for a while, but then then it didn't this last election. And so they're looking to the future and seeing what what needs to change, and a lot of it could be in recruitment especially in local races, because we work at the General Assembly. Our mindset is like all legislature all the time. But it's not just about that. It's about all these county races and everything else. So any shifts that we change with their leadership changing, maybe we'll see it at the General Assembly, especially in the way one of the vice chairs, Kimberly Hardy, told me, don't leave races unopposed. Even if you're going to lose, don't leave races unopposed, because it shows that the other major party just doesn't care to run anyone at all. Of course, you've got to recruit someone to run. So that's the other factor there. So that'll be something we'll be we'll be watching for a while. Uh, just to tell listeners, other than Medicaid expansion, medical marijuana was a big thing this week. Both votes were at 420, which, you know, 
We all know you planned it. Now, whether or not Senate Leader Berger or Rules Chair Senator Rabin planned it, no, maybe. It's like the staff obviously pushed it and they agreed and it just happened to be perfect timing. But what is what does that actually mean, Lucy? Well, it's going to legalize um, medicinal marijuana. So not recreational and it has some pretty tight restrictions. Um, so uh, Senator Rabin has continuously said that He's looking to have one of the um, just tightest laws in the country for medicinal marijuana. And uh, it's going to legalize it for a handful or so of conditions such as PTSD. Um, but yeah, the bill basically is going to be pretty limited in what it does and does not legalize. We'll see what the House wants to do with it. So a lot of things that are kind of still in limbo. The House and Senate have not taken up each other's bills yet. That sort of trading of priorities is coming soon. Maybe even this week from from what I'm hearing from leadership and then uh, abortion legislation is still one of those things that they're still talking about. I don't know if we'll see that bill, the sports betting bill. I won't hold my breath until I actually see see the actual bill language. But, you know, maybe that's showing up again. Uh, Representative saying if you're listening, uh, go ahead and give us a heads up when you're actually going to file that bill. So. All right. Uh, well, let's turn to our favorite segment, Headliner of the Week. Um, with a little bit lighter topics than a lot of the seriousness that's been going on, although I feel like this is still important. Uh, of course, Senator Berger, when they came out at the press conference for uh, the Medicaid expansion deal, let off with the joke that they came to an agreement on this. So it's the Moravian Star and Cookie. So the House loves to run these state symbol bills where they're like, oh, we need this new thing here, new thing there. They usually come from fourth graders because in North Carolina public schools, fourth grade is when students learn about all the state symbols. My own son did a project and knows all the state symbols as a result. So he liked me talking about this story, maybe than some of the other policy conversations I have at home. So anyway, the Moravian star would become the state star and the Moravian cookie would become the state cookie. And it's the same bill. And this started in the before COVID times when a fourth grade class made a pitch to the delegation from, you know, the triad area uh, that the state cookie could be the Moravian cookie. And so I interviewed the teacher who it's, you know, it's four years later, has moved away, teaches at a different school a few counties over. I think he's in Pitt County now. And uh, so we'll see if anything happens with it. I did ask Speaker Moore, you know, why do you, why does the House keep running these bills when the Senate doesn't want them? Even when Senator Ralph Heiss, who's a prominent Republican, tried to make the rhododendron the state shrub and that didn't go anywhere. So I also asked Senate Leader Berger and I didn't get a no. Right. So and it may be the more accurate answer could be when more equipped. Maybe this is the year. So uh, as I've, we joke a lot, you know, we'll find out. So that's my headliner of the week. Uh, full disclosure, my own ancestry is Moravian. I have never been to Old Salem. I feel much guilt about it now after uh, doing this story and everything because my great-grandmother even went to Salem College, is buried out there and everything. So uh, covering this has reminded me that I should probably find out a little more about that. So anyway, that's my that's my headliner. Uh, Luciana, who or what is your headliner of the week? My headliner is that there is a bill that would replace the gray squirrel with the black bear as the official state mammal. And uh, the News and Observer actually ran a poll on what people thought on Twitter about which one should be the state mammal. And the results showed that it's pretty close. So 49% want the gray squirrel 
and 51% want the black bear. Um, But yeah, you know, you can let us know what you think. I would have skewed that poll if I had 50,000 Twitter accounts because it's already the gray squirrel. I won't report on this because I'm showing my bias for the squirrels because I like squirrels. It's the city of Oaks uh, here in Raleigh, and it's already the mammal. The black bear, you could certainly run a bill about what is the state bear and make it the black bear instead of, or, yeah, tree, tree rats, as my dad calls them. So, all right. Uh, I'm Don Vaughn for Luciana and everyone else at the News and Observer. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.